0: Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Take Back Our Schools. I'm Beth Feely here with my co-host Andrew Gutman and we are two accidental activists who spoke up about what was happening in our children's schools and now we talk about those issues and others affecting schools across the country with an eye to solving the problems that we see. So today we welcome our friend and one of my favorite social commentators, Charles Love. Charles is the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence, a nonprofit whose mission is to empower disadvantaged students to reach their full potential. He is also the co the ho- well, host host of the Charles Love Show on Salem Radio. He's co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast, a scholar at the Woodson Center's 1776 Unites Initiative, and a contributor at City Journal. And you'll also see Charles's commentary in The New York Post, Real Clear Politics, Newsweek, Fox News, Newsmax, and other various outlets. And his latest book is Race Crazy: BLM, 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. Uh, and I think my favorite part of your bio, Charles, is that um, he is passionate about solutions rather than partisan bickering. So <laughs> with that, welcome to take back our schools, Charles.
1: Well, thank you for having me. That was a very nice intro, and it sounds well-prepared, and I hate to throw you off, but I told you this thing kind of flows based on what you said, and you started off saying that you two were accidental activists, and that's pretty cool, because I'm not an activist, but I got into all this accidentally, too, so I think we're
2: kindred spirits in that case. Well, welcome to the club. Yes. (laughs) Accidental activists. (laughs) I wonder if all (laughs) activists are accidental, or some just set out to be an activist.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Probably you're you're presented with a situation, and you kind of decide how you're going to act, and that kind of opens opens the door to to who knows what. Sure. Uh, certainly, my my story as well. And um, you know, one I don't know if it's quite activism, but certainly a project uh, that you recently signed on to um, is the open letter denouncing the attacks on Clarence Thomas. I'd love to start there. Mm-hmm. This is an initiative uh, that Brown University Professor Glenn Lowry and Woodson Center founder Robert Woodson. Um, began, they, they kind of hit a breaking point with the recent racial vitriol directed at Justice Thomas, you know, people calling him the N-word, among other slurs, and they decided to pen an open letter denouncing those attacks, and uh, 120 Black intellectuals, professionals from across the political spectrum signed on to it, you being the first. So, question, why did you want to sign it, and then can you tell us a little bit about the range of other people who signed, because I believe you are familiar with many of them.
1: Yeah, there's a a lot of people that I knew uh, signed it and some of them wanted to sign it and didn't for various reasons, which is interesting in itself. Uh, The reason it was important to me was um, I saw it and I guess there's a, a range of things that were bad about what was going on. But the biggest for me was the fact that there was silence. I guess that's probably the biggest thing for me. So yes, there has been attacks on Clarence Thomas you know, since he made it to the bench. Yes, Black conservatives gets treated certain ways sometimes. They get called names and that kind of thing. But this felt different to me. It seemed like um, somehow, let's look at it this way. We're all old enough to remember. So we know when there was um, overt racism. We know when things shifted. And now with everyone being anti-racist and every company and uh, university and, and, and media outlet is speaking out against it, we know that racism still exists, but most racists have been trained, right? They get hit on the nose with the newspaper and they know there's just things you don't say. So what they say around their friends or, you know, in dark sites or whatever is whatever they say, but they, they would never go out in the open. The, the, the guy in the Klan would never go out in the open and say the type of things I started to hear about Clarence Thomas. Yet, because under the cloak of, well, he's a bad guy, he's on the right, so it's okay. White people, which is why some of the conversations I've had with people were why did we single out white people? Because we just have to be honest. I mean, I'm not a child and whether you like to talk in race or not, there is something different about white people writing, in writing on Twitter, social media, writing articles, calling him an Uncle Tom. They've never done this before. So the fact that they felt that, you know, emboldened to do this and that the black people who are, whether you agree with them or not, who are most vocal about racializing everything, milk, Ukraine, everything you talk about is racist. Yet they saw this stuff too, and they said nothing. So
2: if I want, so you're talking believe-
1: about people, you know, black people on the left. Yeah, I'm
2: talking about okay. Nicole,
1: okay. Han- Nicole Hannah Jones, Kimmy, okay. all those types. I mean, they they, they see racism and everything, and sometimes they're open enough to say on the left it exists. Okay, well here's some people, some of them blue checks, openly calling this man names. And you're silent, so it 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 also questions their sincerity. If you're really concerned about racism everywhere you see it, even if you see it in a commercial or in a product's uh, mascot, that it must stop. But you're silent when these people say this about this man because you don't
2: agree with them. That's an issue. So that's the reason why I felt that people should speak up about it. Did anybody try to call them out on this on Twitter or else? You know, any other? Way well, well, until it, before the letter, let's
1: say. Right. So obviously there were a lot of some of the people who signed the letter and others were saying this was wrong. But I saw very few people who weren't considered traditional conservatives or Republicans saying things about it. Right now. Some of them, shockingly, made excuses for it, would we'll say it you know, would we'll say things like, well, Clarence Thomas uh, made his bed, you know, he put himself mm-hmm. in this position. So that was the more extreme. But most of them just sidestepped it and didn't talk about it at all. And to those people, I said, and some of them were people I knew so I could have a conversation with them. I said, this isn't about Clarence Thomas, though. I mean, he's the person that they're talking about in, and I'm mentioning his names in the comments. So but when, so I think about it as like a war. So you're in, because, you know, we have this partisan bickering we talk about. So you have the left versus the right, you know, in this ideological cultural war. So you're in the trenches. If the guy I'm next to in the trench on my side, whether I'm left or right, is yelling epithets at the people on the other side, and those who look like me and he's white, he's calling them the N-word. He's yelling that stuff at them. Well, what do, what do wouldn't that make me think, well, what does he think about me if he's upset, about, uh, upset with me? What does he say about me? So it's not about Clarence Thomas. If they can freely spew this nonsense about a black guy they don't like, What happens when they don't like you? So that was my problem. And I didn't see many of them denouncing it at all. They were denouncing his decision or they were saying, well, at least my attacks weren't on him personally. My attacks were on his views or his decisions or the way he thinks or his conservatism, which is fair game. But they weren't saying anything about the people who were attacking him personally.
0: And that's part of what in this letter, which um, the opening statement says White progressives do not have the moral authority to excommunicate a black man from his race because they disagree with him. So to be specific, when you were talking about whites earlier, it's, it really is specifically white progressives that are doing this type of thing. I mean, um, yeah, it's just fact. Yeah. It's, it's not about your politics. Go find me a, a white right. conservative.
1: And not about him, because, of course, logically, you say, well, of course they don't say that about Clarence Thomas because he's a conservative. OK, find me a, a black liberal where a white conservative is saying the N-word or calling him Uncle Tom. They will put them down. They will call them names. They will call them stupid. They will call him a Marxist. But you mm-hmm. can't find Sean Hannity or whoever they think is most extreme. Uh, I don't know, Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell or in, in, in the media, none of those people are saying, wow, that Kendi's a, an N-word. Right, that Kendi's don't. an Uncle Tom, right? They We're, say that his ideas are
2: bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Did, and did what, the
2: white conservatives come out and support i mean in your view do the white conservatives come out and support thomas sufficiently or are they also afraid of just getting in the race issue and and shying away from it
1: yeah i mean i i i would say that they do except because it becomes a partisan issue they're defending him from a policy standpoint
2: so So the easier right yeah they're saying that he
1: was right about roe or they're saying well you don't understand the constitution all he did was throw it back to the states Mm-hmm. All factually accurate, but if they're not attacking the people. They're not defending him on the, on the face of you say you're against racism and this is racism
0: hmm And something that was pretty notable was the range of people that signed this. This was by no means a letter only signed by conservatives. All of the signers were Black, but yeah. um, by no means politically monolithic. And can you kind of color in for us a little bit on, on some of the people that did sign and why they signed? Because um, I think it was a little bit, it was on the principle of you can attack the, the ideas, but not the man.
1: Right. So I had some, that, were, that I talked to that were just real clear and simple, decided like, yeah, you don't get to say that. And they just said, I don't really care what he thinks about him. Yeah, I, I agree, just nice and simple. Some you know, had to think about it say, well, it's a little nice to him and I don't like him. But I guess that I agree with the sentiment enough to sign, right? So, so some of these people just, you know, whether they're pro-choice or they just don't like him or they're not that conservative or whatever the case may be, you know, that that wasn't enough to stop them from signing it because they thought what was happening was so bad. Some of them were liberals who openly attacked him, right? Which was really cool. I mean, I reached out to to a guy, and it was it was interesting because I said, "Would you sign it?" He's like, "Definitely." Instantly replied. But then I went to his Twitter page. He's like, "Clarence Thomas is wrong. Clarence Thomas is, is 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 the worst justice, and and you know you know he's do, he's bad for the country and all this other stuff." He said, "Oh no, I can disagree with him on policy, but you, you don't get to call them names, right?" So that was big, you know, because of course, people will look at this and say, sweeping a bunch of right wingers, I'm not a Republican, right? So you got that. You have some who were, who were liberal. And the one's interesting to me is there's a group that aren't, they don't get much press, right? So they're this weird mix. So they're not BLM, they don't like BLM. They're not Republicans, but they really don't like Democrats. They think they think the stereotypes that white Republicans say about Democrats are true, like they're using them or they just you know give us token things like change the name of a statue and do this, but they don't wanna do any real work. So they don't like them, they, but they're very, you know I focus on the black community first, what's best for the black community. I call them like pro-blacks. They used to be 80s, some of them moved to the Freedmen, so they call themselves FBA, if you ever see that on Twitter. But about six or seven of them signed because, you know, kind of like what I thought Kendi and Nicole Hannah-Jones would say. They said, well, yeah, I think, you know, there's issues in race relations, but then if I'm if I have problems with whites doing certain things, I should have problems with all whites doing these things. So I should sign on to this. So you, you had some of those. Yeah, some people who are just apolitical. They're just like, what I see, like I said, what I see is white people being openly racist and no one calling them out. And that's a problem.
0: Just for people who aren't familiar with ADOS, uh, the ADOS, what is that?
1: That's uh, Americans... American descendants of slavery. So it's uh, ch- tracing back Blacks, separating. So, so what their problem is, which, you know, I'm not a leftist, but technically they're right. If we're going to fix the problem in country in this country and we're going to make it a race problem, which I think is overblown. But if that's the case, you can't then say, well, Blacks were mistreated. So we need BIPOC laws, right? We need to help, you know, illegal immigrants and, and gays and, and Jews and Indian immigrants. Well, that's not the same thing. They're not saying we have something against those groups, but you can't say slavery was bad and then includes all these other groups. So they tried to carve out a separate way to look at blacks who were descendants of American slaves, as opposed to blacks who came here as immigrants later because they don't have the same experiences. And then. You know, so that's what that is, and then the Freedman Group is, is is more specific because they found some problems. They felt that ADOs is moving a little close to, to BLM, so they because they don't agree with that stuff at all. So like these people are very they're pro gun, they're, they're pro Second Amendment, they are against illegal immigration. Um, Many of them are pro life, but then they're kind of liberal on other things, so they're not your typical you know Democrat. You can't lump them in with other blacks. So you know, I I, I work with them where we agree. And, you know, because I think we have a common enemy in the cultural shift. they, they are more traditional. So they're, they're, they're a different group. Right. And it's quite a few of them. I see uh group conversations and podcasts where there's like 500, 600 people in the, in the call and things of that nature. So, but they don't get any press because they don't fit in uh, specifically with conservatives and, but conservatives are more likely to talk to them because we're more, you know, diversity of thought is great, but the liberals don't wanna have anything to do with them. Right, so they're a weird mix of people, but yeah, they're out there and they're growing. Uh, the other thing is their big, their number one thing is reparations. So that's what, what kind of separates them from was, the right because they're so yeah. pro reparations, that is priority number one. So they may agree with conservatives on number two through six, but because their number one thing is reparation, that's where they uh, the, the, the conservatives tend to move away. But i right. just so, like, you know, I don't have to agree on everything.
0: And very interesting that you had supporters of reparations signing this letter in support of of Justice Thomas. Who would have seen that?
2: <laughs> right. Curious about reparations, but um, after well, I, no, I'm curious if we, I want to ask the question first. But my, what I'm curious is there, is, there, is, there, is that just a word, or is there a specific plan attached to what they mean by that? I mean, that could mean so many different. Well, things. most
1: of them don't. Is part okay. of the reason the uh, the the freedmen moved away from Ado because they want it to be lineage, right? So they want to say, I don't know that I'm not one of them, but so, but mm-hmm. I talk to them enough. I think they want to draw a line in specific X, so five generations, four generations, uh-huh. whatever. So you have to be here that long, and those people get X, X and they want it to be payment, right? Uh, so, you know, I have my reservations, and I wrote a piece that was very nuanced, but it kind of picked it apart from, like, how it's done, what the problems would be, and then... What I think is the biggest problem of the of the three issues with reparations that gets the least coverage is what it will do to the country. Right. So no one talked about that. They, they're so focused on how you do it and how do we se- decide who gets it? And is it right or wrong? And is it cash or is it education? Is it this kind of stuff? But nobody talks about what how it will fracture the country.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Um you will have some elites that have a problem with it, but most of them will roll their eyes. But what where it's going to really feel the effect will be in your working class and your poor, because I'm just an honest guy. You know, I know if I'm I'm poor and I'm white and the country pays every black man hundred thousand dollars, I'm pissed. Yeah, if this is what you can't. You can argue whether I'm right or wrong or whether I should be pissed. Bottom line is I am pissed, and yeah. it's more of us than it is you. Right? You're talking about eighty million people who will be like, "What the hell?" The 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 the, the I live in a one industry town. The industry shut down. We've been struggling. We got the opioid crisis and you're writing checks to people, some of which, if you do it right and fairly, you know, I'm an honest guy. If you do it, if it's because of lineage, everybody who meets that lineage uh, criteria gets it. So Oprah gets it. LeBron gets it. Upper middle class people get it. Blacks get it. So now they're going to look at it like, so you're writing checks to wealthy blacks. But the only way you could do it properly, you have to. Because if you means test it, then it's not fair.
2: I'd be the right. first one in line with the lawsuit, if you mean tested. Just to go back to the letter for one second, the letter mm-hmm. comes out. I know there was a full page ad. I think, in USA Today this week. Mm-hmm. Still silence from the black progressive left, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Ibram Kendi, or is there in any? I mean,
1: we just heard from them. I've got gotten some 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 attacks, not a lot. Some people who question, well, you know, like I said, why'd you say white or why'd you say a progressive? Oh, you know, a lot of the kind the of conversation I get from people kind of in the middle blacks, they would be, just be like, um, like I saw somebody posted on Facebook and people were replying and they were saying, um, well, I don't understand my best. I had to get in this conversation. Someone t- uh, responded, well, I don't have a problem with this, but I don't understand why they need to get, a, why you get an award for uh, denouncing racism. You should denounce all racism. And I'm I'm like, who's getting an award? It's not that. We're calling out the people who are doing it and asking the others, why aren't you speaking up? So you're kind of proving my point. You're saying we should denounce all racism. Check, okay. You're agreeing that this is racism, but did you denounce it? Right? So obviously we're not denouncing all racism because no one's denouncing it. That is the point. Um, But yeah, for the blue checks, it's just better for them strategically. You know, they're good at this stuff. They know when to engage and when to ignore. And for them, it's better to just ignore it. Mm-hmm. It's like but, it'll go away at some time,
0: right? Right. I mean, a lot easier to just ignore it. But um, some of the good outcomes from this were that there are going to be, you know, some guests on on shows of between people who who did sign it, which could be mm-hmm. really great. People who come from different political views, and right. so hopefully there's kind of an uh, an ancillary, you know, a ripple effect uh, that this can help right. help create. Um, and again, uh, and people can find the open letter at realclearpolitics.com. If you do an online search for open letter denouncing the attacks on Justice Clarence Thomas um at Real Clear, you'll find it.
2: We can put it in the show notes too. Yep. We'll do yep. that. that sure we can do,
0: do. Well, okay, you've been writing about race for a number of years, and um, you also are a father. Um, and so just I'm wondering, I guess a couple questions. Um, you know. How have how have things changed in the past, you know, I don't know, five or so years? And then now that you have a son that is entering the school system, are you running into incidences in schools? Um, you know, we talk a lot about education on this podcast. And so we're kind of curious, you know, your firsthand experience um, in this.
1: Well, I think it's been great. I want to uh, publicly on record thank BLM, because if not for them, uh, the, the education system wouldn't be so great and so um, focused on fixing race as they are. And I know my son has benefited greatly. Obviously, I'm kidding. No, it's been completely insane, absolutely insane. And I think that as more people understand it, it will have a shift. It's just how can I, I'm just trying to find a way, figure out how to accelerate it. Because the problem is, as you two know, a lot of this, you know, just like we tell you, the problems um, trickle down from academia when they hit K through twelve they hit the suburbs first. They hit the private schools first. They hit yep. the elite first. So a lot of my friends, well, I'm old enough that a lot of my friends have uh, adult kids are finishing school, so they don't have a problem. But those who still have kids in school, they don't, they're they like, what are you talking about? I see this stuff on the news. I think the right wing's making it up. I mean, if, if it's happening, it's bad, but I don't really think it's happening. I don't see it in my kids school because your kid's in the hood and it hasn't reached them yet, but it's coming, right? So they don't see it. But So for us people in the suburbs and and in different areas that with, with the diversity they talk about. Oh, it's everywhere. I mean, my son is right, just right at the perfect age for these, these lunatics. So he went into school with madness. So he was in kindergarten and they sent out a note saying excitement, right? We're going to start teaching STEM at grade level. We never taught it in kindergarten. So we're pushing it back. So, so in a logical person's mind, you're like, that's great. So that means science and engineering and, and, and math at their level, so you're gonna teach them a little bit about buildings, a little bit about biology, a little bit of that kind of stuff. The first lesson was women in STEM because women have been marginalized.
0: Wow. He's
1: he's five, by the way, that's the first lesson, right? Yeah. So I'm like, Uh okay, so I didn't catch it right at the beginning, so I didn't call about that. But then the next lesson was about empathy, right? So they had women talking about, so they had, an assignment where you're supposed to interview an adult and ask them about empathy or something for STEM class. For, for STEM and that, as an example, one of the teachers invited her friend on who uh, was a coder at Google, I think. And she says, well, for me, I am one of the few women who do code. So I'm always the only woman in the, in the meetings, the only woman in the conference room, that kind of thing. And sometimes I feel lonely and left out. So I joined these groups of other women who code so we can, you know, kind of fellowship and I can meet other people and feel included. But all of them wanted to start their own business and I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. So I only wanted to code. So that felt left me feeling X, Y, Z. So this was the second assignment. So I, I, I call up the school, I have a meeting with the principal and teacher and we go back and forth and they just don't get it. They're like, well, I don't understand. I said, well, you're supposed to be teaching them STEM and, and the boy's five and you're telling them that women are marginalized. Uh, and they said, uh, I, no, you're telling them that that, that the blacks are, are marginalized and he's the only black kid in his class. So what do you think he's gonna think? And, and the principal responded, and women.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Don't well- leave out the women being marginalized too.
0: How So are they? So they're not actually teaching him anything having to do with science. Just how certain so-called marginalized groups feel about being involved with science. It st- sounds like.
1: No, they got to it, but the, but the fir- it was their primary it was the first one, and they sprinkle it in. So not understanding, he's five, and how is he going to take this stuff that you tell him? that
2: that that is yeah. just ignored. I think the they law. understand he's five. Yeah. And she, <laughs> and, and, you know, early. I I think this Get this is them getting. Them early. Early. I have uh, I mean, something I've we you know, I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal. Um, with with, uh, the math teacher, Paul Rossi, where we had all these leaked videos Mm -hmm. uh, about teacher trainings and this stuff. One of them was about kindergarten. And, you know, quote we used was uh, a kindergarten teacher saying, kindergartners are natural social justice warriors. Mm -hmm. And this was explicitly how to get this into kindergarten. It was another video about getting this into science. How do you get social justice into science? So this is a deliberate Mm
0: -hmm. effort
2: as young as they can get them to push this ideology. Oh, I completely b- believe that. The problem,
1: and, and the problem is most parents are busy and they trust the school, maybe yep. less so now. So they're like, okay, and if he's getting good grades, which you can inflate, you can just give a guy an A. But so you kind of ignore it, are you busy? Or unfortunately, if the parents believe it, they are like, oh, that's great.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But so I, I'm a little less worried about that than some of the other things, like the gender things that are coming up, because as a black guy, unfortunate to you, you two, I have an ability to do some things that other people can't do, right? If you're white, you gotta be like, you know, if you send your kid there to tell them, that's crazy, now your kid's the racist in class, right? Right, I was so, gonna
0: say, did, did, you, did you have did, did you hear of other parents that were raising issues about this or were you the only one?
1: Um, I mentioned it to another, a couple other uh, parents and they were like, oh, that's just so, that doesn't make sense, I don't know why they're doing that, but they're never gonna push back. You can tell, yeah. just they're so soft with it. But I'm I'm on the call with them all the time. So my son, of course, is kind of like me and he's like a typical kindergarten. He's inquisitive. He's asking questions. So I just give him the, the truth. So I was like, so he walked around. I'm like, I oh, hope I said it's a school, but of course I'm laughing. So he's like, yeah, why did, Like, you mean like when they're teaching uh, empathy, STEM, the E doesn't stand for empathy. It stands for engineering. Why are they teaching me empathy?
0: Good for him. <laughs> this is,
2: but this is, I mean, this is what they call the social emotional learning, which has learn. at, ASEL, which is absolutely taken over. This is, the you know, what people say, it's a delivery mechanism for these really bad ideas. Let me give you mm-hmm. another one though. So
1: then that was, because there's been many. So then he's at the beginning of first grade and he comes home and I'm all thinking I'm gonna be prepared. I'm planning on what I'm gonna talk about for Black History Month. Cause I know they got some wokeness coming on but they beat me for MLK day. He came home and he's telling me this exciting story about a woman on a bus. Cause they taught her about Bus Park. Not a big deal, but you know I don't think I learned when I was in first grade maybe second or third, not a big deal. So I'm like, okay, correcting a couple of things is not a big deal. He has the holiday off the next day he comes home and he's sitting down and I ask him to turn the light off. And he says, why? Because I have brown skin and I can be a slave. But, uh, but, but it's what? MLK day. So I called the school and I'm like, what's this about? So, oh, we didn't teach anything like that. I was like, you know, it's COVID. He doesn't go anywhere but school and home. So stop it. Oh yeah, it might've been a, a couple of lines about that in this book we read. So I'm like, well, why would you do? Th-? So then I went off. I was like, one, why would you tell the kid that? Number two, I need you to send me a list of every book you're reading to them. And how do you get to slavery from, um, from um, MLK? Cause that's not what he was fighting against. And you understand it's five years old and six years old. You're giving them incomplete knowledge. What do you think? Are you thinking about how a six-year-old is going to take that? So we have the conversation. I the teacher ended up inviting me to speak to the class. So that was good. But then about two weeks later, he's on the playground and him and a boy are playing around, and his girl uh, was yelling at them, telling them to stop, and told him, I don't like uh black boys who don't listen. Hmm. And the teacher, and the teacher didn't tell us. We found out because he mentioned it, and then we had to ask about it. Yeah, well, this is what happened. And I said that we and, and B, I just was honest. I said, the reason you didn't tell us is because you knew I would blame you. This is the direct result of your lesson. There's no way in Midtown Manhattan that that girl's parents are sitting around the house talking derogatorily about black people. It's not possible. That came from your lesson because you're trying to teach something that you even if you talk about it, you talk about to 13 year olds, to six year olds, and that's how they interpret it
0: right they're teaching kids to see race where they where they yeah, don't where they and you know and i you know do you think these teachers are carrying out orders do you think they're really thinking about what they're doing or is somebody some director of curriculum saying you need to in- inject this into your into your class go
1: it's 100% that these teachers now and that's good and bad because the bad part is then why do you blindly follow? But the good is we think, because we're so close to this, that all these teachers are woke. No, they're not. Some of them are just, I'm just getting a check and I'm doing what I'm told. When I called the teacher about the thing, she was all flushing the face and horrified. And I was like, well, why do you? She said, I don't even know how to teach this stuff. Nobody's trying to I said, well, why are you teaching? DOE is forcing me to. I have no choice. They do teacher trainings, do you know? I mean, yeah, it, but I, I mean, know the private
2: school world there is an enormous amount of teacher trainings around the you know D- right,
1: but it, but this thing, you as you know, is like a flood and it happened so fast, right? Yeah. Now when they do the training is going to be worse, of course. But when they were doing it, it was just like, hey, we gotta do something, and they were like throwing this at them without any direction. So that was unfair. But right. now, like you say, now that there is training, the training is going to be heavily focused on why this is good without telling people like like they they They're trying to implement more DEI, so to their credit, the school reached out to me and some other parents for a Zoom call to talk about it, which is a good thing. At least they said, we should talk about you and get your input, but the principal and the assistant principal told me that I and my son, by extension, are oppressed. All Blacks are oppressed. So, But they say they're going to treat us equally. And so that's that was my question. And they were dumbfounded because people don't talk back. It's not that complicated. Right. I don't yell. Right. I'm not calling them names. I said, well, explain to me logically, you're educators, how your mission is to treat every child the same. Yet, you just openly told me that my son was different. He's oppressed. And therefore, he moves through the world differently than you, you wonderful whites. So how are you going to get him to the same level unless you treat him differently? Silence. Just a bunch of nodding like, oh yeah yeah because they don't think they don't think this stuff through it's all surface thinking so sometimes it's just as simple as challenging them Mm -hmm. not saying you know demanding that they do this xyz just say well how does that help well we think it helps because of this how so what happens when they do this what do you do if a student does it they have no idea because they haven't thought that far
0: no we should also note that a lot of these lessons are available for free through teaching tolerance, which is now called I think Learning for Justice, which is available because of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I know they make a lot of materials. Um, BLM at school. Uh, I mean, there's just so much that's off the shelf that 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 either administrators are are picking and then pushing down, or teachers themselves. Um, I also will shamelessly plug 1776 Unites, which mm-hmm. offers more uplifting curriculum um, and kind of rounds out some of this distorted whether it's history, you know, 1619 project, of course, we have to to mention right. um, just as an alternative. So even if in, that you can bring to your school or at least even talk about around your dinner table, um, because you've got to do something to counter this, because not everybody has a dad who has written a book called We Want Equality, Charles, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> like you
1: and, do. And that's the problem. You know, you know, I talk about, you know, with 1776 and all, we, we tear the 1619 uh, project apart and it's bad. But this is, so they keep shapeshifting, right? So this is before you even get right. to this point. This isn't even about teaching slavery or teaching the history of racism. This is just openly saying, we're all the same, but Blacks are different. This is animal farm, right? All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. So we're all the right. same. We love equality, equity, right? We want everybody to have the same. But in order for the Blacks to have the same, you have to do things different because you know they're less than, which is openly racist but, racist, but they don't know that. So they won't admit it. So they just say, well, they do these little exercises and all these things. So ingrained in everything they do, they're reinforcing the fact that Blacks are different, that whites are oppressors, that that whites have this privilege that not all of them have, that Blacks have this negative weight uh, on their back that not all of them have. And they paint it blankly, right? So everybody gets it. It's just a blanket statement for everyone. And nobody's there to counter it. So you're telling five to eight-year-olds this, what do you think is gonna happen in the long term? And when I was on that call, by the way, the first parent to speak say, oh, by the way, can you show that first slide again? Because I want to make sure it says gender identity because that's the next and more dangerous phase, right? So while I have no problem with the race thing because I have a problem with it generally and I want it to stop, but I have no problem as a parent corrected it in my kid because I have that
2: black privilege. Uh, when it comes to the gender thing, that's a whole different ball of wax. So mm-hmm. you're seeing that too in the early grades? I mean, yeah, yeah,
1: I think, I mean, like right now on the school, They put on, they didn't do the extreme ones. They did the love is love one, not the trans flag. But they put the love is love banner on the school for for, for, uh, June. But of course, school ended before July. So no one took it down. So now it's just up there the whole summer. You walk past the school, it's just a big gay flag up there, right? And and so they don't really push it yet, but they do, you know, kind of like start talking about, but I've heard instances in later grades, like between second and fourth, where they're openly talking about that transgender. They're asking them what their pronoun is and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, in the national sex ed standards, it's actually encouraged to have those conversations early, which we've mentioned on the show before, kindergarten through second grade, uh, because kind of of having those same, you know, parallel to the racial conversations they're having, kids are not questioning at these ages, they're You know usually learning to read and right. so it's just it's um but it just gets it in there and then they don't question right. uh, going forward so that's what yeah. we have to
1: question them because i don't understand why i teach it there's no way all the teachers believe this and i know the policies are coming down from the administrators but there's no way if i was a teacher and you were forcing me to teach something i totally was supposed to that i would do it or i just would just ignore it so unless you're monitoring every class um, my, my students are never going to get. Now, if they ask a question, I'll ask we'll have a conversation. But I'm not going to go to the kids and say, today, before we get into math, let's talk about pronouns. That's silly. I would never do it. Why would these people do that? So when I get an opportunity, I ask them, well, why would you do it? I'm forced to. But well, why would you do it? Why would you do it if you know it's wrong?
0: But is it such a surprise, just given what a large role a lot of this, you know, these identity politics types, intersectional, Issues have, you know, at the, at the, with the National Educators Association, with a lot of the teachers unions, if you look at their platforms, they are very political, very flooded with a lot of these issues. And so I, I actually don't find it that much of a surprise that it that it filters down through the education system, at least from a public perspective. Um, and, and obviously, this is in the private schools, too. Andrew, you've you've looked very closely at that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's... Uh it's not surprising because of that. I know it's going to trickle down. What I'm surprised by is that people would just follow through it blindly because I think the issue isn't that it's everywhere because it's every, we see it everywhere and we're not like indoctrinated by it. It's because these people are taught that way. So you go back to the education school. Right. Right? Exactly. That's right. So yeah. the issue is you got a group of teachers who, who've been hearing this since maybe junior year of high school, 20 years ago, and then all through college. Right. So now they just believe it. So those are separate Group of teachers, but I'm talking about the ones who can see it and just say that doesn't make sense. Why? Why don't you stand up? Why don't you do it? I mean, I know we have teachers like Paul and others who do. They're leaving. I was. I'm not even talking about quitting, right? I mean, first, I mean, it may build to that, but initially, my thing would just I'd look at it like okay, and then I toss it over my shoulder and I start teaching my class. So until you come and monitor my class and then pull me in the office and say why aren't you teaching trans stuff? Then it's just not going to happen. I mean, you could be as busy as they are, and administrators doing all this stuff. You can probably go a whole year before somebody even and so, unless some woke parent outs you. They won't even know you're not teaching it.
2: I think one of the things you know we we've seen this being called the parents' movement, yeah. and and you know I think that's a growing movement. I th- I think the you know people have said this, but there's been an enormously less effort and it needs to happen is to try to get teachers involved in this. And whether it's what you're saying is just having the teachers not ignore what they're supposed to, you know, that that what's coming down, this bad ideology coming down, or even try to counter it within the classroom, be whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. We have to find a way of getting more teachers, you know, to get involved in this.
1: And we need a little bit of everything. We need people like Paul and others to quit because they refuse to indoctrinate. And I need some to stay and get fired so
2: they can sue. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also create places for teachers to go, like new options in school. Well, that's another thing. I mean, I think it's so
2: hard, you know, for parents, maybe you can change, you can move, you can change schools, maybe you can homeschool. For teachers that need a paycheck, you know, they're worried if, if, if they lose their job, they don't have that paycheck, they can't put food on the table. And if there was, and you know, if they knew that they could have a job, if something happened, I think that would make, you know, a lot more teachers come out and talk about it. Force those right unions now, like, to
0: do what you're paying them to do. Force them to defend you. I think some some have, and mm. the union's not terribly interested. Right. So no, but well, I remember they,
2: it, it, there's a, the teacher Frank McCormick. I don't know if we have we, someone we should have on the show who who was mm-hmm. very outspoken. Um but, I don't actually know what happened. He was in the I think in the Chicago area. Yeah, he was so yes. I remember. Mm-hmm. Um. So he's very outspoken Waukegan. about this. And I uh, you know, and, and I remember and, and I think he, I mean, he's no longer a teacher. I think I don't know if they ultimately fired him or, or ultimately quit or there was some settlement. I don't remember. But I think I remember part,
0: they parted ways. They parted ways definitely. one way or another.
2: And I remember him say, well, did you resign from the union? And, he, and cause the unions were going after him. But the answer was no, because he was very curious to see if the unions would support him right. through this effort as they mm-hmm. were trying to fire him. Right, right. So I think that's Something ongoing. Happened.
1: So yeah, that'd be great to have him on and talk to him about the, what the what the status is of that. But
2: yeah, yeah, I mean, it's going to take a lot of pushback. So, so how that'd do we get honest. out of this? other than i mean we we're, you know, we're trying to build this movement i mean you have you've have thoughts on on i have an idea okay
0: yeah you can read race crazy <laughs> okay <laughs> i did want i did want to make sure we talked a little bit about your book and i'm and i'm actually being totally serious because i think in your book which was released last fall i mm-hmm. want to say um, yeah. You know, you just you kind of you peel back the layers and you get people to really understand some of the the forces Um, and you, you know, you also do a little bit of follow the money and identify how some of these uh, these groups that are creating these these situations in our schools. Um, in addition to larger society. And so did you, I guess, do you still think that uh, BLM 1619 project, are they still the forces that they were at this time last year? And do you think, um, have they lost a little steam or do you think it's all systems go? No, unfortunately they haven't.
1: No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, BLM a little bit, mostly because of the money thing and, and the houses and people like, but not so much, unfortunately, because here's the, the, the little known secret about BLM. George Floyd helped them out in the Black community a little bit, but but before that happened, Blacks weren't really walking around talking about BLM and wearing t-shirts. It was always uh, a liberal elite white women supported organization, right? That's who had the hate has no home in their side, the BLM signs in the window. That's where the movement and the money and the stuff was, which is why, you know, I can combine that to, to Andrew saying, what's the solution? So the solution is, um, it's, it's only one thing you can do. We know it works. It's just slow. The solution is education in the sense of mm-hmm. getting people to understand why this is problematic, which is why I said, why I write the book in a way that it highlights what they really believe in their words. Because when I when people read this, they were like, well, I only heard what was on the news the few negative things people would say, and then the media would counter to protect them. So they just thought it was a right-wing thing, or they thought, well, they had some things that you may disagree with, but it's not all bad. But when they hear their platform, it's different. The same thing with the gender thing. When I like, so, for instance, when I tell my friends about BLM or the sixteen nineteen, I was like, "Yeah, I can see why you disagree with that stuff." But I get their intent. their intent's good. What's the big deal? But then when I tell them, so if I say separating kids, they laugh and say that's silly, right? They're separating black and white. But when I say, "Well, how about your kid teaching?" Uh, culturally relevant math in English, because blacks don't learn the same way. You want to teach your black kids math differently. Then they get offended. Like why? You I thought you, you so is it okay or is it not? Then they go, well, I didn't know they were doing that. Oh yeah, they're openly doing that. Or when they say, when they point out all this negative stuff that truly happened in the past and they'll say, yeah, that's true. We do, whites do need to learn about Tulsa X, Y, Z. I said, but don't they need to learn some pos- positive? See, you know who Charles Drew is right? You know who Robert Williams is. You know who W.E.B. Du Du Bois is, but they don't know, right? So why would you want them to only know negatives and no positives, right? And then they say, that's true. Well, the 1619 has nothing positive to say, and neither does BLM. Or the last thing I ask all my friends, because they're in their late 40s, early 50s, are you oppressed? They all to a person, regardless of their political background, say no. Do you know anyone in your circle who's oppressed? They all say no. So why on earth Would you be okay with teachers, the media, and the constant influx of movies teaching you, which you're not really being taught, but putting it in your face, or teaching your kids and grandkids that Blacks are oppressed? And they say, I don't. Like, go on on Black Facebook and Black Twitter and see the comments. Just recently, look at the Black comments on the, I guess they're doing another movie on Emmett Till, based on his mother's uh, uh, purview, but they just had one a couple of years. Go look at the comments. Black people in mass are like the articles why I don't want another chill movie why do why do these white folks need to have to keep writing articles and movies you know highlighting black plight or you know making money off of our trauma right because no they
0: benefit politically from it
1: right so they know this but they never get a voice so yes. it's just like lastly I'll leave with this another good example is the gun issue the, where I think the, the uh, there's issues with the, the left and right and how they're uh, approaching this political uh, thing, trying to win these midterms. But where I think the Democrats are making a mistake, partially on abortion, but definitely on guns, is they're making the assumption that blacks are pro-choice and they want to repeal the Second Amendment. The pro-choice thing is not really as true. It depends on if you break down Black by age, political affiliation, women and men, and all that stuff. It's not as high as they think. (laughs) And the gun is laughable. I'd say like 88% of Blacks are pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment. So so to push them, is like, you should vote for me because the other side wants the Second Amendment. They're like, so do we. And who are you that thinks we don't? It's, It's crazy. So- I think that they just don't know enough and we need to get in front of these people and explain to them what the problem is. And if they see it, because unfortunately, people move when it happens to them. Andrew wrote that letter, the Brearley letter, because of what they did with his daughter. Brett Weinstein left because of what he, happened to him. But it was happening before. We noticed it, and we say, that's bad. But we don't, we're not going to sacrifice our livelihood until it comes for us. So I'm just trying to get a few people to say, okay, even if it happens to Andrew, I'm going to
2: speak up, even though it's not me. So, you know, we saw more, I think, Blacks vote for Trump in 2020 than in 2016. I mean, it was thought that the Republicans... And he's a white
1: supremacist.
2: And he's a white supremacist, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was the thought that the Republicans could never win again pre, pre-Trump in 2016 because it was the party of the white male. Now we've seen Blacks move Republican, we've seen Hispanics move Republican, suburban white women a little bit, yep. um, you know, as the Democratic Party has sort of gone so far left and been co-opted by the progressives. Do you see that continuing? Well, you, it could if the, the Republicans
1: it, weren't so stupid. God, they're yeah. dumb.
2: Oh, god, they're the dumbest.
1: Oh, that's so dumb. Oh, it's it shocks me how dumb they are. Well, first of all, you know they don't even act for a while. They didn't act at all until Trump. The one positive thing about Trump, he made them act. He showed them if you do something, anything some people will move. Cause they were all like cost benefit analysis. I'm looking at my numbers. It's not worth it to spend 20,000 to go talk to them. So whatever. And blacks see that as racist. It's not racism. They just like, I, you're not, we don't know how to get you to vote. So we just ignore it, which is silly. Right. But the other thing is it could shift, but somebody needs to tell them how to talk in the terms that they understand. Cause they agree mm-hmm. on a lot, but I listened to the way they said it. And I'm like, I'm not even a liberal and I wouldn't vote for you the way you're framing your message.
0: Yeah. And be present. I have heard yep. many, many times that they just are not in the neighborhoods. They're and not. if you are going to get any votes, you have, it's got to be a longer term game um, right. and relationship building. And you have to be there. Are right.
2: there any political leaders, you think, on the current spectrum that can play that role, that can do that? That's people at the national level.
0: But they can't. The
1: people who can do it, but I don't see any of them really doing it now. The people who are getting. The fanfare, like you look at obviously the biggest one is DeSantis, but let's be real. It's not a knock on DeSantis, but DeSantis is getting fanfare because of the way he pushed back against COVID. They like his frankness, but he's not as rude as Trump. So he's a more, you know, polished Trump, but he's still not specific. Like, unfortunately, it's where we got ourselves and I'm not a race specific Thing You know, race crazy. If you focus on race, it's the bad thing. But you can't just ignore it either. So unless you say specific, you need to talk specifically to Blacks. And by that, I don't mean you need to go to Blacks and say, I'm going to make some Black policy. Yes, some of them want that. But you need to be open. So Like, dude, that's not my job. The Constitution says we can't write Black policy. But I will look at what the problems are there. And I will craft Policies that are constitutional that you will benefit from. And that's how you do it. But they don't talk directly to Blacks. What they say is, the Democrats haven't done anything for you. Look at what voting for them has been like. True, but that's not what they want to hear. At this point, they're at the point where we believe you. Now tell us what you're going to do, not what they have been doing. That's one. And we think we make the mistake of thinking the goal is to make Republicans out of Black people. No, you need to move them, right? You need to make them understand that where they are now is not being beneficial. What the, what the Democrats are doing is hurting them, not just not helping them. And so get them to speak up on their own. So don't speak for them, let them openly say, like a lot of these people I talked about earlier, are saying that um, what you're doing is hurting us. You know, you're, right. you're, you're letting violent criminals in the neighborhood does not help us. You banning me from buying a gun does not help me. And whatever I stand on abortion, saying it's a black issue is racist. Yeah. Telling me blacks needed is racist.
0: Right. I mean, bottom line, if they would just go in there with their basic platform and honestly, they've got the same same desires for safe neighborhoods, good schools, economic opportunities. You know, that really is is what it comes down to. It's really
1: simple. It's just doing it and doing it to to them. Like you say, go in the neighborhood and do it to them, Mm -hmm. not just do it in the abstract or saying this is how bad Joe Biden or some other Democrat is. No, you tell me what your vision is. And if I like Mm -hmm. your vision, I'll vote for you.
0: Right. And there was something you wrote in Race Crazy that I I liked. And you just said that, you know, race has become an obsession and we just have to stop pretending that this lunacy is moral, fair, legal or helpful to blacks. And so it's um, it seems as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And if they
1: only focus on that, which there may be some racism, my point is that you ignore any other cause, right? right? So the problem may have four causes. You only see one and it may be the smallest of the four. And so you wonder why 20 years later, nothing changed because you didn't focus on the root of the problem. You focus on, you know, you were up here in the trees, clipping leaves and doing all this stuff and not getting to the root of the problem. So a lot of this stuff is economic, it's cultural, and no one wants to address it because that's taboo, but that's the only way you fix it. Or what they're the harder,
2: or they're hard. I mean, yep. so, you know, some some problems are hard. It's, it's easy to right. talk about. You oh, can't, be can't be in every ways. household, that right. kind of yep. thing. You know, family structure and, and, you know, really improving education. Some of these things are are hard right. to do. That's true. So, well, hopefully we can make some of these things less hard and move the conversation over. So with that, thank you for coming on. Take back our school always fun to talk to you on camera or off camera. Well, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. me, uh, having me. It was great. Well,
0: Charles is always fun to talk to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember meeting him a few years ago. Um, I was actually going around Chicago. I had uh, met up with Burgess Owens, actually. And Charles was at one of the events that we um, were at. And I just instantly liked him. And um, he's yeah. just a great communicator, great thinker, and really fun writer. I really do encourage people to check out um, his pieces and, and and his books because um, no, they're, they're, they're full of yeah. great distillations of a lot of the the issues that we talked about.
2: Yeah. Well, race crazy is his latest. Well, we went along with Charles, so we should probably wrap up and not chit chat uh, anymore now. So I'm Andrew Gutman on behalf of my co-host Beth Feely. We thank you for listening to another episode of Take Back Our Schools. As always, we'd appreciate any positive reviews and likes and sharing, and we will see you soon on another episode of Take Back Our Schools.